So, yeah, over the past three weeks, three weeks from New Year's Day through to um, New Year's Eve um, message last week and the week before, we have been speaking on um, things that facilitate the presence of God. And as I've been looking at this subject, and I've been stuck on this for a while and I'm going to be there again today, is the subject of humility. Um, it's a wide-ranging subject, and um, I must say, the more I study it, the more I deep into it, the more uh, free I become in understanding what it is, but also I feel uh, very inadequate, you know, um, speaking on humility as God reveals things in my life, and God is gracious and compassionate, and so it's been an, an amazing journey for me, and uh, I'm going to catch, uh, this will be the last week we'll be speaking on it. Next week, uh, Deborah and I will be in Los Angeles. We'll be ministering down there, but um, we start a series on the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the things, as um, I was thinking of the gifts of the Spirit um, and the operation in the local church, is we need to always remember that they are gifts from God, that they are actually not in us. We receive them by faith through Jesus Christ, and He gives them to us to use for the edification and the building of the body. And I, I think one of the things is when we start being used in a gift like a prophetic gift and sometimes like that, sometimes we believe it's about us, but it's not. It's all about God. Amen. And so we started, we looked at a prophecy, and this is just a bit of a recap as we begin to move on. Um, some of you would have heard some of this stuff, but some not. But uh, we look at a prophecy by Felicity Pooley, but before I do that, I want David to come up here from last week. Um, he found me this week pretty excited and had a, um, a testimony of, um, I, I, I was very blessed because um, he was actually listening to my sermon in his car, and I thought, somebody actually goes online and listens to me? So here's the first one. That's awesome. <laughs> Also means I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I was uh, in my car, um, stopped at an intersection, and I was listening to Mike's message, and he was talking about taking that next step towards Christ. And uh, that message was really just sinking in for me when I heard this car horn blare out, and uh, someone was really laying on the horn. And so I started looking around, and... Across the way, across the intersection, I could see that there was this lady, and she must have been asleep at the wheel because uh, the light was green, and she was just at a dead stop, and it was the car behind her that was laying on the horn. And as I kind of took this situation in, I, I thought, like, wow, what a nice parallel with Mike's message. It's, it's so easy to be asleep at the wheel, and, um, you know, Meanwhile, the light's green, God's laying on the horn, he wants us to move forward and uh, take that step towards Christ. And so I just want to share that with you. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Hey? Thank you. Well done. Yo, David has just recently committed his heart to the Lord, and it's just so wonderful to see what God's doing in and through his life. That's what makes my job worthwhile, hey? Uh, and so... 
Yeah, so we, we looked at a, a prophetic word from Felicity Pooley um, with regards to an increase of the presence of God and, and so on in our midst. And, um, and that reminded me, and I want to just share two, two prophecies that were given to Deborah and I uh, before the beginning of, um, before the church actually started, or we had just started the church uh, in our home. And we were at a conference, and this man, Jesse Mason, um, called us up. Isn't it cool to have these little babies? See, they also want to, he wants to come preach too. So um, one day he may. <laughs> yeah. So um, I just want to share these two prophetic words and then work, work off theirs and them. And uh, if we could have the first one up with Jesse Mason, that would be good. It's the one, uh, he, he said this over our lives. He said, I just felt that the Lord was saying that it was my call upon your lives. I'm also giving you my power, my enablement, my gifting, and my supply from the riches and glory. But more than anything else, who's speaking over Deborah and I, I'm giving you my presence. And this is what you will look for. This is what you will contend for. And this is what you will put value on, my presence more than anything else. And I will send people send you people who will value and appreciate my presence. And as they see in you that which is a longing on the desire of their heart, they shall be added to you. They will, shall be joined to your heart as your heart is joined to my presence and glory. So I just want to picture this. We were in this conference. This man, Jesse, uh, who has passed away, going to be with the Lord, but one of my heroes um, came along and had this word, and it wasn't a public word spoken publicly, and I used to carry around, you know, one of those little dictaphone tape recorder things, just in case I needed to remember something, or God would have a word for us, especially at conferences, and so on, and he called Deborah and I aside, he was one of the senior members of the apostolic team we relate to, and um, I switched this on, so he was just talking to us, it wasn't mic'd, and I recorded that. And it had such an impact on our lives there. And we were walking to the back of this conference, and a man by the name who I didn't know, but I, he gave me his name at the time, Howard Bostwick, um, called us aside as we were walking back up, um, up the, the aisle. And he said, I feel I've got a word for you. He hadn't heard Jesse's word. Um, so I put my little... A tape recorder on, you know those good old days where we had tape recorders? But he said this, and um, he, he didn't hear what Jesse said, but he, he saw Jesse praying, and he said, as the team members and elders were praying for, for, you, for you today, I began to see a picture, and they had mentioned that we were planning a church in Nanaimo. Uh, around Nanaimo and over the entire area, a large crowd formed, a cloud formed. It wasn't a dark cloud but the most beautiful, majestic cloud I'd ever seen. It, brought, it had bright golden sunlight glowing through it and defining its edges. It had rays of light shining down and touching the land as though it was drawing everything into its presence for miles and miles around. There's an awesome sense of God's pleasure smiling upon you and what is going to happen in the, happen there. And over the past two weeks, we've been looking at the subject of humility, because I felt God say to me while I was um, thinking of this, interesting, preparing for a new year, 
Are you uh, asking God, it's a big time for the church, and, and, and so on, although God doesn't have a calendar like we do, but in a sense, it's a kickoff. And, and uh, last year, while I was preparing, the message this, the, uh, the year before was uh, John 15, about uh, Jesus the vine, and us being the branches, and being connected to the vine. So if you were here at the beginning of last year, that's what it was. And I just felt God... Um, uh, impressed in my heart as uh, to, to speak or to study humility for a while. And um, I then began to be able to connect, uh, the, the connect, make a connection between walking in humility and the manifest presence of God uh, and the blessing of God. And we could move on and I could preach on many other things today uh, but I just feel that we just need to be grounded in this for this year. And I feel in God that the way we respond to this will have a huge impact on the entire year ahead, both corporately and personally. And this is a recap, as I've said. We looked at, last week we looked at the humility of God. An amazing thing. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the incarnation when God took on the nature of the servant and became a man, born in a manger, we know that. But God's humility in leaving uh, heaven and coming to earth, taking, clothing himself in humanity, living a sinless life, and dying for us. And as a result, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, we need to understand, before the crown, there was a cross. And Jesus tells us daily that we need to take up our cross and follow Him. We need to step up and step into what God has for us. And uh, in the Gospels, we see Jesus speaks much about humility, And so do the apostles, and we'll look at some of that. But he actually says that humility is the gateway to the kingdom. You know, we can, we we need to get to the realization that that we cannot save ourselves first and foremost. That no matter how good we've been, it's never good enough, because God is a God that that cannot uh, that where sin cannot dwell in His presence. And then we know in the, 12th, in, in the Ten Commandments, all we need to do is break one sin to be a sinner. And we cannot save ourselves. We need to come to that realization, but that Jesus can. We can find salvation in Him because He takes his, our sin upon Him and when we believe in Him and accept Him as Jesus Christ. And the Word of God says in Psalm uh, 103, He says He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, when we confess our sin to him, and he remembers it no more. But the disciples, amazing, these scallywags, we thought they were guys with all these halos around them, but they were just like you and I. They were a work in progress. And um, it's amazing that God just chose ordinary people, not kings and, and princes to be his disciples, but ordinary working people, and uh, they, in, in, this is an interesting thing, it's going to look at Matthew 18, but in Matthew 16, 
Jesus asked them this question, who do men say that I am? People are still asking that question. And uh, some say, well, some of them said, well, some think you're a prophet and some think you're this and a great teacher and all of this. And all of a sudden, Peter has this revelation from heaven because all of a sudden his eyes open and he says this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And two chapters later, in Matthew 18, the same group of disciples who through Peter had that revelation are having an argument about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They wanted to know which one of them was going to sit which either side of Jesus. In fact, further on we read that. So his disciples, Matthew 18, 1 to 4, his disciples ask him, who's the greatest? And in response, Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, Truly I tell you that unless you become like, a little, ch- like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he has the care. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And we see in 1 Chronicles 7, 13 to 15, and something that I've been camping on, this, uh, the, restor- uh, the building of the temple has just happened, and there's the, 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 the um, people of Israel have come in unity, and Solomon is praying, and God answers him. And um, the interesting thing about this is that looking at the world today, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. And we have a lot of opinions about what is going on in the world. We see down south, things are going on up here all over the world. And, um, and often, I believe we as Christians get sucked into that either way. I don't want to mention the Trump word, but I will. I mean, he's like a lightning bolt either way. And yeah, I, I, all I know that God says in the book of Romans... Pray for those in authority over them. Pray for them. Pray that God humbles them, God, God leads them, and God saves them. Because then they would change and would lead differently. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the responsibility of the well-being of a nation is not in the government. It's not in, in the government of this world. The responsibility for the health of a nation is in the people of God. In us, we hold the keys. We have the authority. We have the power. There's no higher standing in the universe outside of the Godhead than to be an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. We have power and authority, and the Word of God says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly realms in Ephesians chapter 2. We are seated in Christ. So therefore, when we pray with faith, we are not praying out of place of defeat, but we are praying out of place of victory. We have victory because Jesus won that victory on the cross. And when he died, he said, it is finished. And he disarmed the principalities and powers, and the Word of God says he actually made a public spectacle of them. Amen? Amen. And the enemy will use men, and he does all over the world. 
But this is what God says to Solomon. He says, when I shut up the heavens, uh, um, um, Chronicles 7, 13 to 15. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague amongst my people, if my people, who are his people? We are his people. will do these four things. First of all, humble themselves. And one of the outworking of humility is people begin to pray because they understand they cannot do it in their own strength. We cannot change governments. We cannot change nations. We cannot change the, the physical atmosphere in our own strength. But in Christ, we can. We can come before God and we begin to humble ourselves and we begin to pray. And then it says, and seek my face. This is important. God is a God of relationship. And if the only time we have relationship is when we're asking for something, in other words, seeking his hand, God bless me, God do this, God, I need this, God help me, and all of that. And God wants to hear those prayers, and he wants to answer those prayers. But he wants a, a people who will seek his face, who want a relationship with the living God. Jesus died for this one reason, to pay the price for our sins so that relationship broken by sin could be restored with Jesus Christ. It was all about love and relationship. That's why he died. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. My people. That's another whole subject altogether. He says, then, when my people, and we know in the upper room there were only 120 people, Acts chapter 2, the Word of God says they were together in one accord. They were together in unity, worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit came in power and empowered them. And that 120, led by the 12, began to turn the world upside down. We can talk about my people outside of this building, outside of Oceanside, outside of anywhere. We can criticize this person, that leader, this leader. We can do all of that. But we hold the key. We hold the key. Let's use Justin Trudeau, a young man. For what, whether you like him or not, he leads this nation. He needs encouragement. He needs prayer. He needs people blowing wind in themselves, whether we agree with it or not. We need to be praying for him. God, give him wisdom. God, save his soul. God, God, give him counselors like Daniel and Joseph around him that will give him good wisdom, Lord, because when that happens, healing begins to come. Oh, he's this, he's that, or, or whatever. Let's stop that, church, especially in the church. I want to tell you, in this place, there will be a 60-40, 50-50 at best difference in political opinion. And when we start focusing on that, it divides. It doesn't matter. God put them in charge. That's what the Word of God says. And all we're called to do is pray for them, because if they prosper, if they bow their knee, if they humble themselves, we all prosper. Amen. We hold the keys. And it's humility. It's, it's praying. It's seeking God's face. And it's repenting of, of, of our sin. And becoming right. He says, then my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. 
In 1 Peter 5, uh, 5 to 6, Peter, an old, wise, humble apostle, this is near the end of his life. Shortly after this, he was crucified for his faith by Nero. Shortly after writing these letters, he's in Rome, and he writes this. This is the same Peter that chopped off the, 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 uh, uh, the chief priest's guard's ear, that said, I would never, ever deny you God, that even rebuked God. He rebuked Jesus. And Jesus actually said to him, get thee behind thee, me, Satan, for that. He was an arrogant guy. He said, I will never, everybody else will run. He's in the courtyard. He's asked, hey, don't you, aren't you part of uh, Jesus' crew? No, I don't know. I've never seen him, never heard of him. Three times. He then sees Christ looking over the courtyard. They were in the same courtyard. Their eyes lock, and he realizes, and he runs away, devastated. Can you imagine the devastation of denying Christ to his face just before he dies? What does Jesus do? He goes back fishing. He's basically saying, I'm finished with this. I can't do this. I've denied Christ. I said I wouldn't do that. But something happened in his heart. Something of of humility began to stir within his heart, I believe. And in, in John 20, Jesus goes and looks for Peter. And he's fishing with his friends. And he's on the beach. And Peter sees him and calls him back. And I tell you, Peter's walking through that water running towards Jesus. And I'm sure he's thinking he's going to get an absolute mouthful. I'm sure he's thinking that he's going to be trashed by him. How could you do that? I was watching you. Look what you did. Now I found you. And look at you, Peter. He doesn't do that. He restores Peter. He doesn't even mention what happened. just says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I do. He's looking back, man. That was a slipper, but I do love you, Lord. He denied him three times. God asked him, Jesus asked him to three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That changed Peter's life. That turned him around. That broke that arrogance in him, and he became a better person from then on. He became the man that God could trust on the day of Pentecost to preach and 3,000 get saved and not say, look how pleased I am who could heal the beggar. And when he said, whose name did you do this in? Actually, it was me. No, Jesus Christ. Humility started to flow in his life. Now he's at the end of his life, and this is what he writes to the church. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes Uh, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Church, it's bad enough having opposition from the enemy. And he says, because of this, humble yourself. People pray, God, humble me. Scary prayer. Rather do it yourself. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him, church, for he cares for you. 
You see, humble people spend time in God's presence and pray much. If you look at the saints of old, they understand that God is the source and giver of all things. That any greatness they achieve is not in them, but through them. And they see the divine hand of God, His grace providence at work in their daily lives. They understand that God is more responsible for their achievements than they are. That their skills, talents, natural abilities are not their own, but given as gifts to be used for His glory. They also recognize the absolute reliance on all things. And they understand this, and this is the key, that the reason God blesses them is so that they can be a blessing to others, so that they can be a conduit of His blessing. Jesus, I'm going through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was a straight shooter, man. You can read some of those passages. It wasn't the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He was a straight shooter, but everything he said was in love. And I've read this passage before, but I just felt impressed for us to look at it in Luke chapter 12, 15 to 21, where Jesus warns the people of the dangers of self-sufficient pride. And he says this, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. I read this, I was in my office yesterday, all of the day, studying and praying, and um, I still don't know whether I'm not overwhelmed by this little passage. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Himself, myself, I, me, my. Listen to this. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laved up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God too said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Amazing, amazing passage. And while I was reading that, I was reading, uh, uh, I was thinking of those floods and fires in Los Angeles and how quickly you can go to bed. This is not to, this is not to frighten us, but this is a sober thing that God himself wrote. And that came to mind that thought of people going to bed in their homes, rain comes and washes them all away. Their lives have changed. The area at Hampton, what's it, Montecito? Montecito, one of the most wealthiest 
places in the world. The most self-sufficient people in the world live there. Oprah and all of those amazing people live there. That's how quickly things can change. And if our trust is in our stuff, church, we will never have enough stuff and we will be sorely disappointed if we lose our stuff. But if our trust is in God, this is the point, and our faith is in Him as our provider, and we understand that when we give, we can never outgive God. He makes a way. He makes a way for us. And we see this um, in um, the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. This is what the Word of God says. Interesting, Genesis 12 comes after Genesis 11. What a great revelation, eh? And Genesis 11 is the ultimate picture of the pride of man. We will be like God. We will build a tower. We're going to be like God. God messes up those plans for them. And after that, the next story in the Word of God is about Abram. And this says, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a, into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now this is the key. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is it. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I want to bless you. Oceanside, I want to bless you. My people, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Bless me, heal me, pray for me, love me. No. Lord, heal me. Set me free so that I can through you, through that you can through me use me to see others healed, mostly physically, emotionally. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing, church. I was in a meeting this week, and I didn't know if I was going to speak about it, but I think I should, um, with uh, some of the pastors meeting with the, the city and some of the caregiver um, communities in Nanaimo and asking how can we help. The street ministry and so on that we're starting is part of that. I encourage you to check it out and be part of it if you like. But one of the things that really hit me was a man from the city and, the, and, and from Loaves and Fishes. The man from the city said this, is that Nanaimo is in a really dark place. We are now in an opioid situation within the top two or three in the province. He said what has happened is now with legalization of marijuana, the street um, dealers who were dealing marijuana are now getting, have will have competition from the legal places, so they are now changing from marijuana to opioids. So instead of selling your kids on the corner 
marijuana, they're selling opioids. That's what happens when we use the thinking of man. Well, let's just make it legal and then it'll be okay. But it's a gateway. And so that was interesting. That was from the city, and he says it's a real problem. But he said this. He said that the best, well, how can we help? He said the best way to deal with addiction is connection. Connecting with people. We can have all the programs. We can have all the food. We can have all the money. We can do all of that stuff from afar and say, bless you guys. Or we could go and love them. Or we could go and spend time with them. He spoke of isolation. He said the biggest problem is isolation. People, old elderly people, isolated in their homes, too afraid to leave. The city is trying to these groups. The guy from um, Hello's and Food says, you know, to be honest, we actually don't need any more food. Because the companies, the worldly companies in the city, the superstores, the cobs, all of that, said we can't, the problem is, is we don't have enough people to distribute the food. To take a bag, knock on an old lady's house, and do that kind of thing. So we don't even have to get the food. And he doesn't know how it's going to work or whatever, but they were asking. They said, we don't know the solutions. Well, what I am saying, church, is God has put us here to shine light. We want the presence of God and the glory of God, but God wants us to use it through us in the people out there. Let the city know that the 100, 200, 300 people that come to this church loves them. And that's a challenge to me. I was sitting there uh, with the pastors, and we were all challenged. It was a wonderful time as the pastors of the city were saying, listen, we've got to do more. Blessed to be a blessing. You see, humility in its essence, to me, is a conscious awareness of our absolute need for God. Not a subconscious when I need Him. Daily. Give me this day my daily bread. It's when we humble ourselves and acknowledge our need for God and make, and make time to spend with Him, inquire of Him, that is where we learn the art of being present with God. It's an amazing thing. We can be present but not present. We can be present but not present with God and with people. We can go out to dinner and listen. I've got all of these logs in my eyes. So please sit still so you're not hit by the logs. I'm talking to the ones with the specs. We can do that. And we can um, be in God's presence. And give him a list of stuff without saying, God, I want to know you. Speak to me. I want to, your presence, Lord God. Lord, I'm lonely. I'm lost. I'm all of these kind of things. Lord, fill me with your presence, with your peace. We cannot connect with the unloved unless we know we are fully loved by God. Regardless. God doesn't love you any less because of my preach. 
God loves you the same. But we can't give what we can't, don't have. If we're not filling ourselves up with the love, mercy, and grace of God, where will that compassion come from? Because we are selfish people in our own. When we sit in there and saying, God, I'm lonely, and God says, reach out to other lonely people. God, I need friends. Go and make friends. God, help me in my life. You see, when we learn the art of being present with God, we not only speak to Him about our needs, but we learn to listen to Him and wait for the answers. Where we hear the whispers Elijah heard in the midst of the storms in Kings, 1913, 1 Kings, midst of the storms of his life. The voice Moses heard when God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend, Exodus 33, 11. The voice Philip heard when in the midst of a revival that he, God had used to start, the apostles come there this thing is going crazy, Acts Go and listen to it. God is moving. And God says, okay, now, Philip, you leave it to them. I have somebody else for you to see. You leave the crowds. I've got one Ethiopian eunuch for you. I think if revival broke out and God said, okay, you leave that now to others. And I want you to do something else. I think... I double-think it. But God, you used me to start this, Philip, but God. No, don't worry, Philip. I've got something else for you. And he obeys that voice. The voice Paul heard when he was under tremendous pressure over and over, that God was with him and God would protect him. You see, when we learn the art, where we learn the art of listening to God and not just talking to him, where God says in Jeremiah 33.3, Call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Man, I have lots of great and unsearchable things I don't know. I confess. But as I speak to God, God, what is your strategy? What does you have for me? What do you have for the church? Lord, we can come up with all the best plans in the world. We can get, we can get people jumping up and down. We can do all of that. We, can, we get in a brand new building that we can be proud of. But without God, without His ways, without His showing the unshirtable ways of God, what's the point? What's the point? And I tell you, if we grab hold of this, if we grab hold of this church, I believe a nation can be turned upside down. And he's not only speaking this to us, because if God's speaking it to us, he's speaking it across the nations. Because there's so much pride and so much arrogance in governments, in leadership, in churches, in, 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 in civil areas, so much pride. And the opposite is for his people to go to their knees and pray and pray. If we 
stop talking about politics and stuff as much as we do and just spent that time to pray, we might see revival. And I'm guilty of that. You know, when you, when you prepare stuff like this and God says speak on humility, it's a hard thing, man. It's a hard thing. I've got a little uh, Jack Russell and he's got a dog box and I want to get in there with him. You see, this is what Isaiah says. Israel was in a terrible place. If you read Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, terrible, terrible place. They had disobeyed God. God had stripped them of everything and was taking them into exile. Some of these prophets were warning about it. Others were living through it. But this is what Isaiah says in 55, 69. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. God is not angry with us. Isaiah 54 says the wrath of God was satisfied in and through Jesus Christ. He's no longer angry with us. He's calling us. He's saying, turn your ways, not with a stick, but with his hand, with his face, saying, come to me, seek me, because I will freely pardon you. And then he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's a good one to know. Neither are my ways, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And he says, I want to tell you, little created being, I want to tell you how different our thoughts are. As high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. I've, I've I've heard this preached in a negative way. Well, what's the point? You know, our thoughts on his and so on. But if you read the context of the chapter, you'll see that's not true. But Isaiah starts his writings, and in Isaiah 2, verse 2 to 3, he says this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Now there's um, different significance to this, but I want to take the significance of the temple being the place of the presence of God. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the pre- to the temple of God. Now remember, under the old covenant, they had to do that. Under the new covenant, we are saved, are actually that temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God um, residing in us. To the temple of God, and He will teach us His ways. 
My ways are higher than yours. So far high, you have no idea. But if you come into my presence, if you spend time with me, I will teach you my ways. You see, it never leaves us with a negative. You wicked, lazy people, but if you humble yourself, you this, this, but. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. There's always a yearning and a longing for God to come, us to come in His presence. And you might be in situations, and you might be taking all the counsel in the world, and I'm, I thank God for that because there's godly counsel, and God can use people to counsel us, and the counsel of many can help, but it's the counsel of God. That thing that comes into your heart where everything is going one, but you know in your knower, you know in your heart, that's the voice of God. And even though it doesn't make sense to anybody else, it makes sense to you. And you can stand upon that in the midst of the storm. You can go in the cleft of the rock and you can stay there when the storms come and they're blown and God's got you in his hand under his shadow. He says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And we come into that place and he says, listen, now I'm going to teach you my ways, the high ways of God. And what this world needs is a church walking in humility. That understand the authority and the power they have in Jesus' name and give Him all the glory that begin to walk in the ways of God because how many of you know the ways of the world just ain't working? Why are we buying into that? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Amen? Amen. And this last quote, I hope this has been all right. Uh, we'll, we'll some worship a while after this. But I think God is speaking this to us because of what He wants to do through us. Simply that. If God gives us that, He's given us a building, it's two and a half times this, you're going to be blown away at the, what incredible that building is. But if we rely on buildings and cool stuff and all of this, we can think it's about ourselves. And we won't rely on that, oh, look, more people are coming. More people, we want more people to come for one reason, so more people can be transformed, so more people can get saved, so more people can go into the city and be as hard. That's it. We have 130,000 in the greater from Lanceville to Cedar, 130,000. They say 5,000 go to church. We have 125,000 people. We could have 125 churches in Nanaimo, uh, of a thousand each. Yay, yes. We've got the task to do. But 120 turned the world upside down. And if we all humble ourselves, pray, begin to seek His face, we're going to see coming. We're going to come here on Sunday, and it's not, God, please, my battery's flat, and, and I need the worship team, so I'm going to plug in. Oh, thank you, Lord. Go by Tuesday, it's flat again, and I come back next Sunday. No, we're going to come full of the presence and the power of God, and we're going to begin to prophesy. We're going to begin to pray. We're going to begin to worship God out of an abundance, and we're going to take that, and we're going to give it arms and feet, and we're going to go into the city, and we're going to find one person to love, one person. 
If you look at a multitude, you get overwhelmed. But if you look at one, like Jesus did, leave the 99 to find the one. He says, find that one. Reach out to that one family, that one person. Amen. And so this is our, uh, a quote that I found. Uh, I don't know who it's from, but if we could have one. We've called him, uh, the person, Anon. Maybe they didn't want to be known. If our life could be our message and not our mouth, we would see amazing breakthrough. God has called us to walk in humility, to represent Him well, to be His hands and His feet. And the greatest weapon we have against the enemy is love. Love for God, love for each other, and love for mankind. Amen. Thank you, church. We could have the worship team come forward. God bless you. One of the things as they come about the love of God is it's received and not achieved. Okay? If you can achieve something, there's no value in it as a gift. It's not a gift. So God wants to pour out His love into our hearts right now by His Spirit. Romans 5 tells us that's what He does. God wants to break condemnation. God wants to break loneliness. God wants to break those. And how we do is we humble ourselves and give them to Him. That's how it starts. We say, God, I cannot do this. God, I'm lonely. I feel unloved. I, how can I love others? He says, don't worry, my child. I will fill you with my love. And as we soak in His presence, we can't have a casual relationship and expect it. As we go daily to our dad and we say, Dad, I need help. And he says, my boy, you know that person down the road? They need help too. Why don't you go and connect with them? That person that you work with. Whoever it is. And you come the next day, God, it was a disaster. It didn't work out. Don't worry. Don't worry. Come to me. Come to me. Fill your tank up daily. A revelation of father love. Some people have no idea. I had a father. If I, if I com- compute my, my uh, God's love to my dad, it's a disaster. And most parents and my father, and unfortunately I did that too, we celebrate achievement, but God celebrates us when we're at our lowest, when we haven't achieved anything, when we feel like giving up and we're just holding on by our thing. He said, well done, well done, well done, well done. He celebrates it. He celebrates us, and when we go out there and we intend to do something, we do the opposite, and we come to our dad. He says, well done. Thank you for coming to me because I've forgiven you. I've set you free anyway. Well done. Don't give up. I'm with you. I'm there. And, Lord, I'm struggling with this addiction or something, but, Lord, I ask you to help me. Well done. Thank you for coming to me. Reach out to others. Let them help you. Let me understand you my ways. I will break those things in your life. God is a well-done God.
He leaves. He stands daily looking for the prodigals. And prodigals aren't necessary poor people or rich people. Prodigals are ones that just where we've drifted away from God. And when he sees them turn around and say, you know what, I'm tired of this life. I'm tired of this. I'll go back to my dad and I don't even deserve to go back, but it's better than nothing. So I'm going to go back there. And as he's walking back, thinking of what he's going to say, Father, I've done this, I'm sorry, Father. While he's thinking this all through his head, he sees his father running at him. Running, running, running with arms wide open. He doesn't even ask him a question. He doesn't even ask to come. I'm going to put a robe, a robe of righteousness. The righteousness. I'm going to cleanse you. Take that filth off. I'm going to put a new robe on you. And then I'm going to give you a ring. That's a ring of sonship. You're my son. You are lost and now you're found. You have come home. I'm going to throw a party. God wants to throw a party for us. Come home. Change this thing. Break the power of our stinking thinking about ourselves and others. See us. Ask God to reveal Himself first. So if you do nothing else for the next month, but just ask God for a revelation of who you are in Him. Just ask Him for that Father love. Ask Him if you do nothing else. Because some of us will go here and say, now I've got to do this, this, and this. And God says, no, 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 no. You've got to come get healed. You've got to come to me. But if you only give me half an hour, an hour on a Sunday, how can I do it? You see, we want to come to God's presence, not out of rule and regulation, but to wash us, cleanse us, and heal us. Let's worship the Lord. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this beautiful people, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, I know that you're at work. Lord, I pray that you break the power of condemnation, of condemnation of what we could have, would have, should have done. You have a glorious future. But today, Lord, we lift our eyes. We see you high and lifted, Lord Jesus, and our lives are in your hands and our future is in your hands. And like Paul said, forgetting that which is behind, I press on to take hold of that today. I press on, Lord. If, I'm, if you give me one year, two years, 10 years, 100 years, Lord, I wanted them to count for you, Lord Jesus. Heal me, Lord. Deliver me. Set me free. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let your anointing flow like a river in this place. No more same old, same old relationship, Lord. You're longing for your bride to arise, clothed in white because of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, when we fall, and we fall daily, and all of us sin daily, Lord, may we not run away, but run into your arms. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Church, let's worship the Lord.